On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Welcome to all of you who are joining us today. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and with me on the line is Professor Wilson. And as always, welcome, Woody. Thank you, Felice. Well, we have a full schedule here. We're going to talk about a lot of things, um, such as uh, current events, things that are happening right now, as well as some really good things uh, that we're going to delve in today, like Americans Christian Foundation and Can the States Amend the Constitution and more, and a really uh, in-depth look at Article 5, um, which in the show notes, um, Woody was kind enough to put together for us. Uh, he actually listed out um, Article 5 so that we can read it and uh, become familiar with that. So, Woody, uh, we are going to get started today with um the the direction that the USA is heading. So why don't you share that with us? Yes, uh, by by this the um, and this is a Pew uh, research. It's totally valid. And the question put to um, citizens that participate in the poll is: Do you believe that the United States is going in the right direction? In other words, are things getting better? Uh, is the future looking better? What about your children and grandchildren? Are they going to have a better future? Well, the uh, the poll has been dropping steadily for the last four years. And um, it was at one point, I believe, at 53%, and now it's down to 29%. We have an, a very large number of uh, unhappy people, 64% say it is not going in the right direction. Now, that has implications for the election of 2016. Typically, if uh, the economy is bad or if people simply feel for other reasons that the United States is not going in a positive direction, then we typically throw the party in power out of office. I think we saw that in in the recent 2014 congressional election uh, with that Republican tide. So as this number continues to drop, um, I am more and more confident in saying that a reform era has begun, and the reform is to go back uh, to the basics of constitutional democracy and free market economics, and that we are going to uh, set this ship aright and sail into the horizons. Uh, so uh, that's very, very encouraging news for America, in my opinion, and I'm sure that there are many, many others who would disagree. Uh, breaking news this morning, Felice uh, Netanyahu won the election in Israel. Yes, I saw that. It was a, they said it was a close win, right? Yeah, well, they, they don't have the details out yet, but uh, apparently the uh, the person that was uh, running against Netanyahu and was competitive dropped out um, at the last minute. I guess suppose he saw the handwriting on the wall, he was not going to win. So to get a place in government and to be a good guy and do the good thing, um, uh, perhaps uh, he caved in. They have a parliamentary system. It's um, similar to ours. They have two houses and all that, but the rules are very, very different. So Netanyahu wins in spite of Obama and the State Department um, campaigning against him. I, it, I just, I suppose this is globalism at work. I don't like it. Um, it makes me nervous. We see Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton taking money uh, from foreign countries 
donations to their foundation while Hillary Clinton is the Secretary of State. So you got some conflicts of interest going on there. Nonetheless, um, Obama, the State Department, uh, spent a lot of money, millions, and even sent State Department personnel to Israel to campaign against Netanyahu. Well, I guess yeah. it's in your face time for, for them, uh, Netanyahu won the election. Wow. I, I'm, you know, I'm sure that we've done that um, as well, you know, in the past, but maybe just not as, as uh, obvious, I guess, would be, you know, something that we could say. I don't know. You know, you're probably right. Uh, we uh, we have probably have had presidents that uh, have cast their opinion uh, when an election up is up in one of the European democracies. Uh, but I don't know that we ever spent American taxpayer money overseas in in an election. I have never seen that. That doesn't mean it didn't happen um, and wasn't made public or it was done under the table type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, this one was out in the open. Wow. So. All right. So I guess, um, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, something to keep our eyes open to. And, uh, you know, so let's move on, and we are going to um, discuss uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, some of the issues that she um, is facing right now. And uh, interestingly enough, I talked to someone, um, you know, who I knew was a Democrat, and, you know, it's, it's not even a matter of party um, it's not like, you know, we're all, those of us that live in this country are Americans and really need to band together on what is right and what is wrong. And she was, inter- it was interesting, she was appalled that there is all of this discussion over this because she definitely would like um, Mrs. Clinton to be the next president. And, um, you know, it, it, it just amazes me. <laughs> that, you know, it, it doesn't have to, you know, and she said to me, well, I'm a Democrat, and I said, it doesn't matter, you know, if what your party is, and, you know, even whether or not you would like her to, to see her elected as president, the, the fact is it's a disregard for using the systems that are in place, and also, to me, it's a transparency issue. So why don't you recap if you have not heard anything about it, which I'm sure those listening to the show have, um, but go ahead and recap um, about the the email situation, Woody. Well, you know, in regard, uh, Felice, to what, what you just uh, talked about, um, I just mm-hmm. read an article um, uh, this morning, uh, in a, another poll, 60% of Democrats are saying they would, do not want to vote for Hillary Clinton. Uh, mm-hmm. 60%? Wow, that's huge. Um and people are beginning to – and many Democrats are turning on Hillary, and they're writing. I mean, these are uh, journalists, um, uh, uh, people that are big in the party are making it public. They're simply saying that um, they are very insecure with Hillary Clinton as their um, presidential candidate. So expect to see other Democrats recruited and uh, jump into the race. I don't think Hillary is going to be the only Democratic candidate. Nonetheless, uh, she, like Jeb Bush, has been around for a very long time. We'll all remember uh, or will be reminded that when Bill Clinton was elected president, he was going to pass something like the, an Affordable Care Act, a, a nationwide uh, health um, insurance plan. And guess who uh, headed up the committee to make that happen? Hillary Clinton. Well, they lost the next election. Republicans took both houses of Congress, so that was dead in the water. But Hillary has been around quite a long time. (coughs) She has been a senator from New York, didn't do much. She was a secretary of state, didn't do much. And so she doesn't really have much of a record of accomplishment uh, that she can run on. so things are going to be very difficult for her. Democrats know that, and many Democrats want an alternative as a result. 
I think a lot of people are just having Clinton fatigue, just as they're having Bush fatigue. Uh, we've had enough of this. Uh, look at what's going on in the country today. Uh, we've had Clintons. We've had Bushes. Let's uh, try another name uh, type of thing. So with Hillary, her latest um, um, snafu is that apparently when she was Secretary of State, instead of using the secure State Department email system for conducting diplomatic business, she decided uh, to use her own personal email. And do you know what rationale she gave for that? She didn't want to carry two phones in her purse or in her pocket. She didn't want to carry two. She just wanted to carry one. That would be more convenient. It was not illegal. Uh, it was uh, perfectly okay that she do that. Although she did dismiss an ambassador uh, about two years into her term for doing the same thing. Now, the personal email, of course, is far more vulnerable to hacking. And if she is, if she is emailing back and forth with people in other countries throughout the world about goals and about plans and uh, negotiation points and and uh, uh, future moves that the United States is going to make, uh, this stuff is classified and personal emails being far more vulnerable to hacking. Uh, it could very well be that a great deal of classified information was captured by uh, foreign sources. So that, that in itself is um, basically a black mark. Well, the thing is, when she left office, it, she didn't sign what's called an exit form that's official government uh, designation is OF-109. She did not sign it. Um, and what she is supposed to do is sign that form saying that she turns over all of her records to a government oversight uh, agency that will go through all of it, classify it, organize it, categorize it, file it, uh, delete it, um, and, and so on. So she had 60,000 emails that under that law should have been turned over to this oversight agency. Well, she didn't turn it over. Instead, she hired, uh, or maybe she has lawyers working for her and uh, law interns and that sort of thing. So she had them all sit down and uh, gave them keywords to look for, more or less a rubric, and told them if anything is personal, well, this is what she's, she is saying. If anything is personal, delete it. So they deleted, I don't know how long it took them, uh, quite a while I would imagine, uh, they deleted 30,000 of the 60,000 emails. And um, the uh, Congressional Oversight Committee would like to see those emails. And uh, the question is, from the House of Representatives particularly, why didn't you turn these over? To the uh, government, to the government. Why didn't you turn them over, like like the law says? So mm -hmm. this is a real snafu. It kind of reminds me of uh, Watergate, um, when Richard Nixon. It was found it was found out during the Watergate investigation that Nixon had had installed in the White House a tape recording system. Now I don't understand these people that um, have this lust for power. Um, but apparently Nixon wanted to guarantee his place in history and have those records available. Um, Obama, you know, right now, if, you've, if you're following the news, there's a lot of talk about Obama's legacy. He's interested in his legacy, how he looks in the, in, in the history books, and so on and so forth. I don't understand that. Um, but none, nonetheless, um, going back to Nixon, um, the special prosecutor demanded and, and uh, uh, got a subpoena filed uh, for Nixon to turn over those tapes, and he refused to do it. So the special prosecutor went to the Supreme Court, which very quickly and, and emphatically and unanimously ordered Nixon to turn over the tapes. Well, mm -hmm. a few days later, he turned them over, but guess what? There were huge gaps in the tapes, a lot of conversations that apparently he did not want made public or would redound badly on him, uh, they simply deleted. So uh, many of us are getting the sense that um, Hillary's uh, 30,000 deleted emails 
um, might have information that uh, could do her harm. And that's why she didn't turn them over according to the law, and that's why she had her friends delete them. Uh, that's what a lot of people are thinking. So this is a scandal like Watergate or has the potential to be a scandal in the so dimensions of Watergate to, that won't go away. To people who say that, you know, the Republicans are just blowing it out of the water and they're just making it, um, you know, too big of a deal. What would you say I, to that? I All I would say is that... Um, the, the people that are, are saying that are very liberal people that would like to see Hillary Clinton be the first female president of the United States. That's mm -hmm. all. And it's been my experience yeah. that uh, both conservatives and liberals will ignore things. Uh, they will exaggerate things. They will sensationalize things. It doesn't matter about the truth. It doesn't matter about the facts. It matters about politics and who gets elected. Uh, so I tell you, the truth, Felice, I don't think – if I heard somebody say that, I think I would just smile. I don't think I would uh, dignify yeah, we had, it by, we had by to responding agree not to, to discuss it. To discuss it, especially as this lady was doing my hair. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, know, you don't have any I choice. To, no, just smile. I to, yeah, well, I didn't smile. smile. We disagreed to mm -hmm. disagree. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't you even know. say that. Just let it go. Yeah, it so. won't make any difference. And, and oh, finally, sure. in regards to Hillary, she. Uh, she is in decline. Her, her favorable favorability rating uh, was 59 percent back in November of 2014. It's dropped to 53 percent. And um, she used to have a like if Republican candidates were put forth in a hypothetical face-to-face uh, -face, uh, uh, election, how would you vote? And she used to beat everybody by. 20 to 40 percent, and now it's one percent. Uh, she would, um, Jeb Bush uh, has, and uh, Marco Rubio, and Scott Walker, and Rick Perry. Uh, polls show that she is would defeat them by one or two percent, and that's a long way before the uh, next election. Mm -hmm. So things are not looking so good for her. And, you know, she has not declared that she is going to run for president. And it could be as these things uh, develop and she sees the handwriting on the wall uh, that she might just very well back out. Uh, anything could happen. Uh, so keep an eye on that one. Okay, very good. Um so we've got some things that have been in the news, and you know we want to touch on those. And one of them is the nuclear negotiations with Iran. Uh, that uh, still remains an issue, and um, you know a big concern to to all Americans, as it should. So, what's the latest on that? Well, that's um, uh, John Kerry is um, over there right now negotiating. Uh, uh, Obama desperately wants a deal. He wants to say, I'm the guy uh, that got a deal with Iran when nobody else could. Um, Iran is now fighting against ISIS um, uh, in northern Iraq. Uh, Kerry is there negotiating. Um, the problem is we don't really know what's in the deal. Um, Congress doesn't know what's in the deal, and they should. They should be advised. And as you know, uh, the Senate already passed a, a measure uh, telling the people of Iran. In fact, it was a letter to Iran, an right. open letter, that simply said that, uh, you know, you can make this deal with Obama, but in a year and a half it could be overturned, so keep that in mind. Um, and uh, Tom Cotton, who the senator who started this initiation, basically is of the opinion, and I certainly I think we all agree with him, that Iran doesn't understand our constitutional process, uh, how this works. So there's, I don't understand. I have heard a couple of things that um, Iran will promise not to build a nuclear weapon for 10 years, and then after 10 years, I don't know what happens. Um, we, in turn, will uh, promise not to put any sanctions on Iran's economic system, I don't know if fighting coming across the border and fighting ISIS is a part of that deal. We just don't know. And this is not the kind of thing you do. Of course, you know, 
uh, negotiations pretty much have to be, you know, tense uh, negotiations have to be done um, in private, in secret, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But with, with Iran and nuclear weapons and what will happen if this rogue nation does develop a nuclear weapons, it is just too important and potentially deadly um, to not at least involve Congress in the Congress um, intelligence committees and foreign policy committees in uh, dealing with this rogue nation and the possibility that a rogue nation would have nuclear weapons. So keep an eye on that one and do some research and see if you can find any details um, on what the content of the diplomatic package is that we're negotiating with Iran. Very good. Uh, and more unrest, unfortunately. Um, in fact, uh, my daughter and I were discussing um, how ridiculous it is in this day and age in which we live, of course, it's my opinion, um, that we still have racial tensions. And, um, you know, it's, it's just ludicrous. And uh, two policemen were shot in Ferguson, Missouri, and uh, it seems like it, it, there's just no stopping um, the unrest that we keep hearing about in this area, Woody. What uh, can you shed light about that? Well, there there are daily protests um, in, in Ferguson. It has gone on and on and on. And I re- I really just want to say uh, that racism is not a, as big a deal as a lot of people think it is. Uh, you know, there. You just take a look around. We've we've got a president of the United States who is half black. You know, I remember it wasn't too long ago, oh, maybe ten years ago. Um, as long as I've been on the planet, that's not very long ago. But ten years ago, uh, there was a poll. That I read this poll about, um, you know, who's your favorite American citizen? And uh, number one was Michael Jordan. In this poll. Uh, my, Michael Jordan was number one, Colin Powell was number two, and Denzel Washington was number three, and they're all three black. Mm-hmm. You know, if racism, they wouldn't have been in the top ten if racism was a really serious problem. Racism is a problem. Racism will always be a problem, just as there will always be crime and there will always be poverty. It will always be there. But people tend to fan the flames and make it seem a lot worse than it is. And one of those people is Al Sharpton, and another one is Barack Obama, and another one is Eric Holder, the Attorney General of the United States. This was a local crime in in which the federal government had no business at all, and Obama and Holder should have kept their nose out of this, and that Al Sharpton needs to retire and and, uh, go away to Peru or something. Uh, because he fans the flames of of racism, and um, you know, of course, white people react to that, and they they're making the situation a whole lot worse uh, than it used to be. And if you look at economic statistics, you see that black families are doing much better than they were 50 years ago, significantly better um, in terms of family income, kids going to college, investing in the stock market. If you take a look at this stuff. Racism is not the problem that the media make. That's another thing. If the media would just shut up, cover the story, what happened, two days, drop it. Find something else and, and stop fanning the flames. Um, t- to me, that's, it's just a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's too bad. All right, um, let's further go on uh, with the Keystone Pipeline. Um, That is uh, still something that uh, we're looking at. I think it's going to take a Republican president, to tell you the truth. Uh, It's kind of amusing, and I think everybody knew that for six years, um, when a reporter uh, or an interviewer would ask the president uh, about 
the, how he felt about the Keystone Pipeline. He would say he usually said good things about it. Um, you know, it would uh, do a lot of good for the United States. But um, our State Department is um, conducting an environmental study on the effects of, of the pipeline, particularly for global warming. And um, we don't want to be hasty here. I remember him saying that we don't want to be hasty. We don't want to don't want to jump uh, too quickly on this. We want to study it. Uh, in detail and make sure that there will be no harm done. Well, the State Department released its study, finally, six-year study, my gosh. What, do they have a bunch of third-grade students studying it? Um, it takes six years to study a simple thing like that when we already have 10,000 miles of oil pipelines in America that have caused no problems whatsoever. Well, it was a delayed thing, a strategy thing. It wasn't just the State Department. It was the Environmental Protection Agency and Greenpeace and all those other people that want human beings to go away um, or at least go into the cities so that, the, so that nature can manifest itself and be unbothered by human interference. It's Agenda 21, essentially, and we've talked about that for, before as well. But anyway, on January the 31st of 2014, the State Department released its study, and they said that there would be unlikely to alter global greenhouse gas emissions. Unlikely. So State Department says it's okay. Go ahead and build the thing. No problems. So you had a Democratic Senate, and of course nothing happened, even though the House of Representatives jumped on the release and passed yet another authorization of Keystone XL pipeline. But, of course, it died in the Senate, as so many House of Representatives bills did back in those days. But now we have a Republican Senate, Republican House. The Senate passed the authorization with 62 to 36 votes. That means eight Democrats joined with Republicans to pass the authorization. The House passed it by a larger vote than they had previously. 31 Democrats joined. The vote was 252 to 161. So it goes to the president, and the president vetoed it. After all, six years of saying we're waiting for the study. He gets the positive study, and he vetoes it, which tells us, like we have said before, the President Obama is not his own man. He is a puppet. He is controlled uh, by the groups apparently that put him in the White House, and uh, he's a part of that group. He believes that what they believe, and they want to see radical change uh, in terms of environmental considerations. And, of course, this will do harm to our relationships with Canada. So if we get a Republican president and keep a Republican Congress, I'm pretty sure we'll get the Keystone Pipeline, if Canada wants to wait and take a chance. Canada can build their pipeline to the West Coast and sell this oil in Asia. And they have talked about that. They're waiting patiently for their good friends to the South uh, to join with them in this basically what amounts to a trade deal. But will they wait? for another year and a half. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Let's hope so. The Keystone Pipeline will bring a lot of jobs. It will increase the supply of petroleum uh, to those of us who consume gasoline. That's good news. Um, we saw the prices come way down to around $2, and now they're going back up around $2.30, $2.40. And we'd like to see the supply of petroleum increase in the supply and demand thing. Uh, supply increases, price drops. So it would be of great benefit to the American people. Very good. Okay, we are going to take a short break. And for those of you that are um, in our live uh, chat room, if you would like to post some questions, uh, we'll visit those when we get back. Uh, we'll start with our questions, and then uh, we'll continue on with a question that we uh, touched on in the last broadcast about the USA being fundamentally changed during the uh, last six years, and also about America's Christian Foundations. Okay, so we'll be right back. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class, 
recorded with a live audience, taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Well, hi, and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is an episode of Current Issues in the Constitution, and this is episode number 38. Um, if you want to find a copy of the show notes, all of the topics that we've discussed today, uh, visit currentissuesintheconstitution.com. Scroll down to episode 38, and the topic uh, heading is America's Christian Foundation. Uh, so you will see that, and the show notes will be found there, as well as any links to additional web- websites and information um, in regard to today's show. Well, we do have a question here, Woody, so we will start with that, if that's all right with you. Well, that's fine, sure. Okay, it says, um, what do you think about the White House saying they are not subject to the FOIA? And so what is FOIA? I don't know. Okay, so... I'm going to look uh, it up Tara, real quick. Okay, so if, um, Tara, if you... Um, F-O-I-A. Oh. Freedom of Information Act. Oh, yeah. We knew um, that. <laughs> I, I would agree with the White House position on that. Um, a great deal of, of what's done in in the areas of national security, um, CIA, FBI, uh, diplomacy, in many areas. Well, let's say I partially agree. Um, uh, There's a a great deal of classified, highly sensitive information. Were it released, that could result in death and uh, possible warfare, uh, those kinds of dire scenarios so I would say in in many cases where national security is involved um, or an investigation is going on such as with the FBI that uh, the White House would be uh, exempt but any other any other um, something like the IRS the entire Internal Revenue Service uh, for example uh, uh, the EPA uh, what they're doing Health and Human Services I, I can't think that, the, that most of the agencies in the federal government would be doing anything that should should be should not be subject to the FOIA and to the knowledge of the American people. The American people have a right to know what their government is doing. But I think we have to, to a certain extent, have to trust the president, trust the White House, whoever it may be. And that goes all the way back, and it goes way into the future as to decide what could do harm to the national security or an ongoing investigation and decide whether or not to respond to that. Now, what the law says about uh, White House secrecy, I don't know. I don't know what FOIA says about that. Does the FOIA legislation give the president the the right to say no to a request. I would imagine that it does um, if we could research that. Okay, very good. That's something that we can all look up, and it's foia.gov. Uh, so we can all look at that uh, for next uh, time we convene. And um, you know, I always love when we learn stuff from our audience, but I. I agree, Woody. Some things need to be classified, um, and some things I think should be open to public scrutiny. Uh, another uh, interesting uh, current event, I believe, and it says uh, the new Starbucks policy is for the baristas to ask people about race and racism. Can you imagine what would happen if Chick-fil-A asked people about their faith? 
So I have was not aware that Starbucks uh, put this policy into place, and why would they do that? Interesting. Now, what is what is that policy again? Um, that that they're allowed to ask people about race and racism. I'm not exactly sure what they would ask. Are you a racist? I mean, you know, what? How could you possibly phrase that question and not come off? With somebody just like looking huh. at you, going, "Are you kidding well, me?" It's, um, it's a rather indelicate and insensitive question, but right. I think Starbucks can ask anybody anything they want to ask. It's called freedom of speech under the First Amendment. Yeah, it's not a government uh, institution. Uh, Starbucks is a private company, and I suppose right. they can ask people uh, about racism if they want to. Why couldn't they? Yeah. Under a democracy, and Chick-fil-A should also be able to be closed on Sunday, which they are. And um, they were involved in a very large lawsuit, unfortunately, uh, because uh, they held to the right to hire people they wanted to hire. Um, and, uh, you know, it's sad when you have to go to court over things like that. We should have free enterprise in the in America. Um, Absolutely. So, okay. I've always agreed right. with that. I remember back, uh, oh, it's about... 40, 40 years ago or something, there was this uh, uh, big deal about housing and people that owned apartment buildings, uh, for example, would not rent a room to a black person. And I thought that was just too bad, really sad. I've, I've always despised racism. Um, and, and I just, um, but, but I had to say, in a free society with uh, a free market, if a guy owns an apartment building, it's his, and he can decide who lives there, uh, whether he's a racist or not. I, I don't think government should pass laws uh, dealing with that. Just let it work itself out, and it will. Um, I, I don't think racism is the problem is it, that it was 40 years ago, um, and it would have worked out, but I don't think, like James Madison said in one of the Federalist Papers, uh, the government cannot legislate. The government cannot legislate virtue. You just can't. The churches have to do that. Families have to do that. Values. Virtue. A virtue is basically a package of values, um, and the government should keep out. So Chick-fil-A Chick is a private corporation, can do whatever they want to do, as long yeah. as they're not breaking the law. Okay, so what they're doing is they're writing um, handwritten words, race together, and they can, if they want, start a discussion about race. Um, and uh, it's because the CEO, uh, Howard Schultz, is encouraging his employees to bring up the hot button issue. And so we will have a link to more information about that um, in our show notes. And moving on, we have yeah. uh, more but, questions. Uh, I would like to say before yeah. we go on, I, I stop yeah. at Starbucks from time to time. Um, and I think if I stop at a Starbucks on the way to Florida in, uh, in two weeks and somebody asks me about race, and I, I think I'll just say no comment. And if they do, I'll say, well, uh, we can get coffee someplace else, Seattle, whatever. Um, I just won't buy coffee there anymore. Um, if they want to get into that, I mean that's not why I go to Starbucks. I go there to get coffee and a little right. one of those little pieces of lemon cake. It's delicious. I don't go there to have political discussions or social yeah. discussions. So, especially with people who make coffee. All well, right, yeah, Felice, um, that, that's usually what happens. You know, <laughs> if, if a company like that does something like that, and there's mass uh, outrage, well, we stop buying. They uh, their sales go down. Maybe they go out of business. I mean, that's how they're punished. Uh, government should have, have nothing to do with that. But go ahead. Okay, I'm finished. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, and the comment in the chat room is the concern is not that Starbucks is doing it, but there's a big stink. If a conservative does anything that is covered under the First Amendment, it's a disparity between the handling of this. So, you know, and and it is true. I think, you know, the big the biggest thing that we do on this broadcast is educate and, you know, and, and look at the Constitution. I think we all have our opinions and, um, you know, it's there's a lot of podcasts 
uh, where people give their opinions and people follow this podcast because they're very opinionated. And, um, you know, and, and it's only if it lines up to their opinion. So right. we try really hard. Woody and I definitely have our opinions, and they probably, uh, I would say, probably 99.9% will line up to all of you who are listening. Um, but we also want to encourage our kids to think and to discuss things with their parents. Uh, another interesting question uh, Abigail asks: Why do you think? Uh, what do you think about Obama announcing that he is a dictator instead of a president? I asked her for more clarification as to where she heard that. Um, I haven't heard it. Obviously, we wouldn't have heard it in the news. But if she, if you could put a link, um, I don't know. Did you have you heard anything? No, I'm saying that. Yeah, I haven't either. I I am okay. exclusively Fox News, and I spend a lot of time on Fox News, and I haven't seen that at all. Okay, all right, interesting. Hopefully, she'll give us the link as to where she found that. Another question: I know Keystone Pipeline will do a lot for the economy. Um, the the liberals jump on the environmental issue. I am more concerned about uh, a taking of forced sale of the U.S. property rights to a foreign company. Is this not more of a constitutional issue? We must not put um, put the ends, the job first, when it clashes with the possible constitutional issues. Well, the, um, if you if you read the Fifth Amendment uh, to the Constitution, the uh, uh, very last section, uh, it's a paragraph, but in the last couple of sentences, um, the government is given the power of eminent domain. That is, that they can take land that belongs to private individuals for public use. And, of course, they pay for it. Um, in fact, they pay well over market value. Uh, so I'm not sure. You know, I haven't seen any any information on that. Uh, but undoubtedly, the pipeline will come through privately owned land. So I don't know if, um, you know, around around here in West Virginia, we have this fracking thing going on and possible cracker plant um, uh, to increase uh, the uh, flow of energy. And um, the government, our state government, is not involved in it at all. Uh, these companies that are doing it are buying the land or buying the rights to the land. Now, if they put a... a the Keystone Pipeline through several states and millions of acres of privately owned land, they're going to have to pay for it. Um, and I don't know if the government is going to get involved in this because they can. This is uh, in West Virginia. Okay, that's intrastate, and federal government has, has nothing to do with it. But the Keystone Pipeline will be interstate, in um, Article 1, Clause 2, I believe, or Section 8, Clause 2, that gives Congress the power to regulate interstate commerce. So the federal government could get involved in that, could exercise um, eminent domain, and you have uh, the possibility that that uh, the companies that are that have the contracts that are building the pipeline will buy out um, a right-of-way. Uh, a small right away, probably through people's land, and if the people refuse, then they could appeal to the government for uh, for the government to step in with eminent domain. Something like that is what I would expect to see. But like I said, I haven't seen any information on this yet, and I doubt if we will until if and when they actually start building the pipeline. Then that kind of information will hit the news. Okay, and they did send me a link for the question about um, what, uh, you know, Obama apparently said or didn't say, and she said that uh, there was a Tea Party link looking for that quote as well. I don't know if it was pulled. Um, and then, you know, one of the concerns in answer to what you were saying about the Keystone was that it is going to be a foreign uh, privately owned company uh, that is foreign owned. And that's, you know, I think that's always an issue um, with Americans that are concerned about land rights and a foreign company coming in. Um, but um, like you said, we'll have to look into that some more. All right, Woody, we've got... It's just, uh, a, it's just a typical typical trade deal. We've been making trade deals uh, here in America since before George Washington was president, and this is just another mm -hmm. trade deal with Canada. 
who is, okay. by the way, our um, leading uh, trading partner in the world. Okay. All right. Well, I'm really thankful to all of you guys who are here live who are putting in a lot of links, and Woody and I will take a look at those. So thank you so much um, as you share those with us. We appreciate it. Okay, so uh, the qu big question, is the U.S. fundamentally changed during the last six years? What are you finding, Woody? Okay, there is quite a discussion, a robust discussion going on uh, across America in what we call the national discussion, and we usually conduct that in the media. Uh, is, uh, has the United States fundamentally been changed during the uh, uh, Obama era, if we could put it that way? Um, some say yes, some say no. I personally say no. We have not been fundamentally changed, uh, even though during the 2007 campaign, 2007 and 8, um, Obama said that they were going to fundamentally change America. So people are pointing to the national debt. No, we've had a national debt from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, when George Washington put his hand on the Bible and took the oath of office in 1789, we already had a national debt. It was the war debt. Uh, so, no, that hasn't changed us. Um, well, it has grown uh, quite a bit rapidly. In fact, the national debt has increased more while Obama has been president than during the tenures of all other presidents combined. Uh, but we can easily, in fact, we have a Congress right now, uh, if you take a look at their new budget, that wants to put a stop to that growth. Economic doldrums, we've been having them forever, go clear back into the 19th century, panics, uh, recessions, depressions. Uh, we do have those. This is, happens to be the longest one, um, with the exception of the Great Depression in our history. They don't normally last this long. So does that mean that we, um, our economy is uh, dead or dying or decayed? No. Uh, we um, uh, certainly get back in action as soon as we take the chains off and let the um, free market capitalism do its thing. Uh, government growth and expansion, they uh, talk about, we had, my gosh, uh, we, have, we have seen some government growth and expansion uh, under Obama like we do any Democratic president, but not near as great as we saw with the New Deal during the Great Depression and the uh, uh, Lyndon, Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society legislation during the 1960s. Uh, so th that's not a fundamental change either. Bureaucratic malfeasance, uh, we see a lot of that, and we have always seen a lot of that. No matter where you go, you find people that are just not very nice people, not very good people, not honest. Uh, you know, you can find them. If you look at all the teachers in the United States, some of them are really bad people. Uh, we've seen uh, ministers of the cloth that are very bad people, lawyers, uh, politicians, doctors. Uh, so bureaucratic malfeasance is really nothing new. Um, the way they exert power uh, seems to be something new, uh, but that can be dealt with. The Affordable Care Act, okay, now we're getting to something that um, – the thing is, the Affordable Care Act gives the government control of one-sixth of the economy. That's huge, and that is just really the government sticking its nose, putting its dirty hands into the free market and taking control of a large aspect of the economic system. But the thing is, the Affordable Act, Care Act can be repealed, and with a Republican president, it may well be. In fact, it might be repealed by the Supreme Court in June. I doubt it, but it could be, or parts of it could be. Um, next, abdication of leadership in foreign affairs. That you know that um, that's that's like the pendulum on a grandfather clock. It swings back and forth depending on the attitude of the president. Um, George Bush, Herbert Walker Bush was a hands-off president, and the president before him, um, Ronald Reagan, was a very hands-on president. Uh, but it, it depends on what's going on in the world. Uh, is American leadership needed? Is it a time for American leadership? The Cold War certainly was such a time. And people thought in the 90s, once the Soviet Union collapsed and communism was gone, that the United States could lay back some. And uh, boy, Obama certainly took that seriously. Uh, George W. Bush didn't. 
who is the next president going to be? And uh, how are the American people feeling about ISIS, for example, or about Iran having a nuclear weapon? Um, are we going to say that, you know, these people, ISIS and Iran and maybe even China, are making the world a more dangerous place? We have to, as the great superpower, we have to stop them. We have to get that under control. So, you know, that just changes. It's always changed. So it's not an indication that we've been fundamentally changed. Minimizing the Constitution? Apparently Richard Nixon didn't take it too seriously. Uh, neither has uh, Barack Obama. So that, again, depends on the president, his personality, his, uh, his, psych his psyche, uh, the stability of that. Um, and, again, it depends on what's going on in the United States. So all of those things vacillate back and forth and always have, and I'm not sure that any of these truly uh, represent a fundamental change in what America is and what America stands for. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I want to go back and comment on the Affordable Care Act. Um, there are so many things wrong with that that I, I don't even know where to begin. Um, however, I do know uh, people, some people who have never had insurance now do, um, and so uh, they're really happy to to have insurance. However, even if you if you've never had insurance, um, you know there are a lot of programs. I know some fall through the cracks and can't qualify. But uh, I do know that because of the Affordable Care Act, uh, my insurance went from $800 a month to uh, $1,600. Uh, it did double, and we had to look for other other types of insurance, which is not nearly as good as what we had. And I think that is what most Americans are finding that were happy with their insurance company and wanted to stay with it. So um, that is very disappointing, and I'll be keeping my eye on that because that is a hot topic. I hope that is going to be brought up in the next election, Woody. Right. It definitely will. Okay. And I think uh, I think uh, far, far more people were hurt by the Affordable Care Act than were helped. Yeah. And there are better there are better ways to do it. There are better yeah. ways to do it. Well, I still know a lot of people that that are, have no insurance, you know, right. and so I think they're hoping to fall through the cracks and not be fined. All right, America's Christian Foundation. Let's talk about that, Woody. All right. Well, uh, you know, you have you have this debate today. We have uh, quite an atheist community. Um, not very many of them. I think they're about five percent of the population. Uh, but they make an awful lot of noise. Um, they're part of that left-wing agenda to fundamentally change America. And I'm not sure how much success they have been having, but um, our foundations are definitely Christian. Even uh, going clear back to the colonial era, uh, when people were coming here from across the seas, uh, uh, Puritans, Huguenots, Catholics, they were uh, thousands, tens of thousands of them were coming to be free to to worship in their own way without any interference from governance without any back in Europe um, just about every country over there had an established church and you had to go to that church pay tithes to that church whether you wanted to or not if you didn't in many places you were tortured you were killed uh you were persecuted you were denied rights and all of those kinds of things so a lot of people came to America back in those days, uh, back in the uh, 17th and 18th centuries, to escape religious persecution. And it's one of the reasons we see in our Constitution today, in the very first uh, amendment to the Constitution, uh, the fact that the government cannot establish religion and the fact that um, uh, freedom of worship, uh, freedom to practice religion as we see fit, is, is guaranteed. Um, and, and back in the 18th century, in the, in the back, back middle uh, 18th century, we had a, a great awakening. Uh, uh, Christianity spread uh, throughout the colonies, throughout the farms and the communities, up and down the 13 colonies. Uh, 
circuit riders, so what we call circuit riders were basically preachers that got on their horses with Bibles and um, headed from one town to another preaching the Word of God. And uh, during this time, just tens and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people uh, were converted or brought into the church or brought into a a strong uh, religious practice. And, uh, you know, in, in where it really matters, you know, government doesn't really matter, you know, because we can change it, elect new people. But um, Christianity was being established in the First Great Awakening uh, throughout this country. And this is, you know, this is going to be, these are the people that are going to fight the American Revolution and write the Constitution. And then then you have um, the Declaration of Independence, which is essentially a reflective summary of the American experience. It's a, it, it really is, um, it, with, with some European writing uh, 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 blended into it. Uh, but, but it really does summarize the thoughts, the feelings, the ideals uh, of, of the American people uh, that were living in these 13 colonies, how they felt, what they believed in, what they wanted, what they wanted for their children, all of those kinds of things. Um, were basically expressed in a very um, eloquent manner by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, so, as a matter of fact, I, we don't have time to do it, but I would like for you to take a look at the Declaration of Independence, uh, read through the whole thing, and there you will find God referred to four times. Uh, so, take a look at that, and and again, consider that it's a summary of all those people who came to America to escape religious persecution, many others who were brought into the church with the first great awakening. And it is just so normal and so natural, it doesn't even raise an eyebrow that we reflect to God four times in this nation's spiritual beginning, the Declaration of Independence. And that Declaration of Independence basically... It um, was written, it was printed, it went throughout the colonies, it uh, got people fired up for the fight against the uh, British imperialists, and and uh, that really worked, and then, then it was forgotten. It was just forgotten. It just became another document uh, in history. But during the 1820s, uh, we had just uh, beaten the British again in the War of 1812, and uh, the Industrial Revolution was just, plowing along and more people were coming to America and we were feeling really good about our, ourselves. The economy was great. Uh, there were jobs that uh, we were just begging immigrants to come over and take them because we didn't have enough workers of our own. In fact, uh, history has labeled this the era of good feelings, the era of good feelings. So one of the things that they did was they, they pulled out the Declaration of Independence and they dusted it off and and I began to celebrate it on July the 4th. And so that begins. So this Declaration of Independence recalled with four references to God. And it's still our Declaration of Independence. And I don't think that you can take the word God or creator out of that document. It is there to stay. And then in the United States, we have a constitutional convention, and I don't have time to go through it, but you can get a list of the delegates to the constitutional convention and take a look at them. You'll find that many of them, some of them were preachers, some of them were, one of them I remember wrote the translation of the King James Version of the Bible. They were deacons. They they were strong very strong, strongly religious people. And you can see that um, their their devotion to Christianity, you can see it re, uh, if you look carefully and think critically, you'll see it reflected in many parts of the Constitution, most especially in the Bill of Rights. So take a look at that. Um, and then in early America, around seven, some people say it began in 1790, but it really took off at about in about 1820 during the era of good feeling, was the Second Great Awakening. Once again, pastors got on their horses 
gathered up Bibles uh, that different organizations would uh, contribute, and off across America they went, uh, preaching, uh, lecturing, visiting with people, passing out, out Bibles. Uh, so by 1840, without question, without question, America was a deeply Christian nation. And we still are. We still are. Uh, 93% of the American people believe in God. That is a very large percentage. Uh, many of those do not go to church, but that doesn't mean that they are not equally devoted. And and they are. And uh, it still remains the great majority uh, in America. Now, we have allowed many people to come into the country that are not Christians, uh, like 9 million Muslims, for example. And uh, we have... Um, a few million atheists, and that's okay. Uh, but nonetheless, if you want to be elected to Congress or to the White House, you have to be a Christian. You, you can't be a Muslim and be elected to the White House. That would never happen. Uh, perhaps the Congress in a small uh, district, a small enclave where the majority of the people are Buddhist or something, a Buddhist could be elected to Congress, but to the White House, never. And as long as that's the case, I don't see how you can say anything but the United States of America is a Christian nation. Okay, but now I'm going to tell you what a lot of people listening to this broadcast are going to say, that you know there is no way that the president uh, we currently have is a Christian um, in any way because of all the things that have happened. Um, you know, I know he professes to be Baptist. Isn't that correct? Yes. Well, he doesn't yeah. profess. He is a member oh. okay. of the Baptist Church in Chicago. He is an active, well, not an active member, but, uh, and he does attend some church services in Washington, D.C., although not, uh, and I agree with the, I don't disagree with the questioner, Um a lot of times politicians say things that are not true. A lot of times uh, politicians put on a face that is not their true face. And we'll have to wait and see on that. But if the American people, if he said, okay, I'm a Muslim in 2007, I'm running for president, and all the re nothing else was different in his campaign, he would not have been elected. So he said that because he knew he could not be elected otherwise. Well, it's because he knew that the United States is a Christian nation, and he could not be elected unless he was a Christian. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not really totally into that, but I think if you went back and did some research, um, I wonder what you would find out about his family, uh, his mother and his grandmother, the white folks that raised him. Were they Christians? Did he belong to um, a church when he uh, went to college? Did he? When did he join uh, this church in Chicago? Was it uh, very recently for political reasons, or he had had he been a member uh, long before he considered politics? Uh, so those kinds of questions, um, a research into those kinds of questions would be very helpful in that regard. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Okay, and then um, in our show notes, uh, you have listed out the Article 5 of the Constitution, so um, people can read that as well on the on the website. And we'll talk about it next time. Okay. All right, Woody, well, thank you so much uh, for this presentation today, and thanks, everyone, for listening in. You can listen on iTunes, on um, all of the podcast uh, dealies, uh, apps for your phone are on the website, and I got a question the other day via email, you know, can we download the episodes and listen later? Yes, you can. So um, yeah, this podcast network is totally free, and uh, we enjoy bringing you this information and sharing some discussion, and I'm sure there will be times when we'll be disagreeing uh, on some things, uh, you know, with the audience or even among ourselves. We, we all have our own opinions about some things. Um, but um, we hope that you always take away what you, um, you know, can learn and discuss with your family and have your kids listen in as well. So with yes, that, Woody, yeah, uh, go ahead. Let me just say very briefly, uh, uh, 
we do have all kinds of different political, economic, uh, cultural, social opinions. Um, learn to be confident in your outlook and have respect for those that don't agree with you. Yeah, as hard um, as that may be. <laughs> well, it's hard to do, but it's a, but it's the Christian thing to do, and it's a, yeah, and true. it's what you have to do if if United States is to remain a democracy. We have to have divided opinions on all kinds of issues, and we have to be able to talk about them intelligently and politely and courteously, and without without all this media screaming and shouting. Right. Um, right. Otherwise, we're not a democracy. Yeah, and, I, and my kids I, won't listen when they when they do that. You know, when there's that all yeah. that arguing, and they won't let people talk. They won't yeah. listen. So I'm I'm that same way. In fact, I uh, I if, if I'm watching a Fox News video and people start interrupting each other, I immediately pause it and find something better to watch. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much, and we will see you. Uh, where our show is airs live every two weeks, so mark your calendar for the next one. Thank you so much, Woody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.